0: Uh, as always, the Cyclone Fanatic podcast is fueled by our friends at Cody Road and all of the spirits at the Mississippi River Distilling Company. It's, uh, I guess this is a football on random things. We're not going to talk much about football here on football and random things. We've got uh, I've got Jeff Woody in here because I think he's got a unique perspective on the name, image, and likeness discussion going on right now with the NCAA as well as uh, the Supreme Court's decision earlier this week uh, basically telling the NCAA that all of their rules are a farce and that, uh, they are doing illegal things. What's up, Jeff,
1: man, that is, uh, this is not, I I mean, if I'm the NCAA, I'm not thinking like, uh Oh, for right now, like your house is not yet on fire, but your house is you you're looking and there's a, a wildfire that's heading towards your house that you need to then do something about otherwise if you don't change there are some serious things that are going to be happening in the future so yeah this is this is big not in what it says now but what it will say or what it will allow for in the very near future
0: and the wildfire is probably a whole bunch of lawyers who are like salivating right now about the possibility of Taking more and more cases against the NCAA to be the one who brings this entire thing crashing down.
1: Okay, so I think we need to catch the listener up at least a little bit before we kind of dive too much into this. So um, you're probably more you're probably more well read on this at least in the the long term. Um, so last what, last week or early this week, I think they ruled on Monday. It was on Monday. Yeah, so they ruled on Monday. They being the Supreme Court uh, that you can, the NCAA is violating antitrust rule or antitrust laws by suppressing the amount of educational expenses that can be provided to any student athlete of a member institution. So it doesn't necessarily touch on name, image, and likeness. Like the ruling itself, really what it means is you have a kid, like as a, as a situation, you have a kid that comes from, you know, inner city, Houston, and doesn't have enough money to afford a laptop Prior to this, the university had to go through a bunch of hoops to be able to, and it was possible, but they had to go through a bunch of hoops to kind of get exceptions to different rules to be able to provide that kid with a laptop for school. Or at the same time, if you, like I was, uh, I was granted, me personally, I was granted a scholarship for going to graduate school, which is an outside entity scholarship that you had to get an exception for through the, through the university For So yeah, I got 10,000 bucks to go to graduate school from an outside entity. So that had to be then cleared the university, but it was directly tied to academics. So what this rule essentially overturns or allows for is way less cumbersome ways to get that kid from inner city, Houston, that, or if someone, if you get a 3.5 GPA, the university or the football program, or someone else can say, if you get a 3.5, we can give you a cash incentive to say, $2,000 directly tied to educational things in an academic grant or access to an internship. So it doesn't really do much now. It basically
0: just completely removes the cap on all education related benefits.
1: Exactly. Which
0: I honestly would have thought had gone away anyway before even this, which I think to an element, they had done some of these things previously with uh, cost of attendance and like that kind of stuff. They had made some steps forward on that front.
1: Now, essentially, what they're saying, and, and I think the the bigger thing that actually says this, and so one of my really good friends actually works in athletic compliance, and one of the things that he had said, and I'm paraphrasing, was. The the biggest part of this whole thing is that the NCAA is now subject to antitrust legislation. So antitrust legislation from a layman, not an attorney, but from a layman, it essentially says if you are preventing free market and fair market acts principles because you are the only one or you are suppressing everything, like Standard Oil back in the 1900s, which essentially let it, you know, reform what antitrust legislation was, they would buy every other gas station or buy every other oil producer. So you literally couldn't get oil anywhere other than standard oil. You had to do that. So antitrust laws, they, you can't, it it makes sense. I mean, from any any logical person would say, all right, I want to play professional football or I want to play professional basketball. The best slash only way to get to that route is through the NCAA. So they own that market almost exclusively. So by capping what you can do in there, because you are the only one there, you're violating antitrust rules. The NCAA had uh, in essence, not been subjected to antitrust legislation before. So right now by saying you, you violate an antitrust law, the next antitrust law that gets brought in is very likely going to be name, image, and likeness, which becomes a huge can of worms for the NCAA at that time, if not sooner, because state laws are starting to overturn that name, image, and likeness stuff. So if you are the NCAA, you have just been told what you're doing is wrong. And likely, and this is what's other also interesting is uh, Justice Kavanaugh in his concurring opinion, because this was, and I'm not joking, unanimous. All nine Supreme Court justices voted against the NCAA or ruled
0: against the NCAA, which is which in- we should note in today's political climate. Is it? Is extremely rare. Insane that <laughs> yeah. nine
1: Supreme Court justices all fall on the same side. So there was no dissenting opinion here. This wasn't like a six to three split where the three non the three that voted against it or or ruled against it or in in the opposite direction say what their justification is. No, this was a concurrent opinion. So there was the. The overall opinion, which is, I think Neil Gorsuch was the mm-hmm. one that said that, which essentially said this applies to a narrow thing, talking about educational thing, but Kavanaugh, because he was providing the concurring opinion, could provide more, a little bit more off the cuff, and what he said. If you have the chance, just Google Brett Kavanaugh NCAA antitrust ruling and read what he has to say, because it is a direct sledgehammer to Mark Emmert, or Mark Emmert's face to say what you're doing and everything you're doing is completely illegal we didn't have the capacity to rule on this right now but if it gets brought again you are going to lose like it is about as black and white as you could possibly say to all of the kind of weird things that the ncaa has kind of been allowed to suppress like name image likeness and cost of living and education or whatever so This is, to to bring it back to that wildfire analogy, like the house isn't on fire yet because they have time before the next case gets brought through to adjust what they're doing so they don't get ruled against. But now they have to start that process of doing something because it is a very big deal for the current business model of every member institution and the NCAA itself if this goes through like we expect it to
0: now. And it's one of those things that like the NCAA, as much as there's been a lot of people who have pushed back at things that they've done or pushed back at their rules, and a lot of people have been very adamant in doing that, like, let's be honest, the NCAA gotten a pretty easy deal in a lot of these things sure. where they have very rarely ever been forced to change. And this was the first time that I feel like I was, we saw something where the NCAA cannot kick the can down the road anymore. Mm-hmm. Like even the things with, you know, going to with the state legislatures starting to pass these individual state laws for name, image, and likeness, the NCAA could continue to kind of kick the can down the road, kick the can down the road, go to Congress, do the you know, and do their thing, and it wouldn't be like detrimental to them necessarily. Mm-hmm. Now, this is the kind of thing where it's like, no, if you don't do something, you will cease to exist. Like that's yeah. all that's all there is to it. You have no other option. It's either do something or you are going to be in much more trouble than what you are at this point.
1: So to read exactly what Brett Kavanaugh wrote, nowhere else in America can Ameri- or nowhere, nowhere else in America can businesses get away with agreeing not to pay their workers a fair market rate on the theory that their product is defined by not paying their workers a fair market rate. And under ordinary principles of antitrust law, it is not evident why college sports should be any different. The NCAA is not above the law. He goes on to say, uh, the NCAA cannot disguise reality. The NCAA's business model would be flatly illegal in almost any other industry in America. That is a change or we're going to change it for you. So that's a, man, uh, this just, it opens up a a big discussion for what is the current interim future while they're figuring it out, as well as what happens once. And I think, based on that uh, concurring opinion, when, when name, image, and likeness gets overturned, not if this is now a, when situation, it just depends on what, um, it just depends on what case gets brought and when, how, how that's going to eventually get overturned unless the NCA allows itself to change its own rules. Because yeah, I mean, if you hear that or read that, that is
0: change or it will be changed. And I think, I do think the NCAA will do that themselves. I don't know how quickly they will do it, they need to do it quickly because they're going to be under the gun where you're going to start. This is a thing that I think is going to become a problem for the NCAA in the immediate term where if they don't change these rules or at least give some sort of blanket exemption exemption to where, you know, once on July 1st, once some of these states, state laws go into effect where some schools in some States can have athletes profit off of name, image, and likeness, they're going to start having member institutions that get pissed enough to start turning against the NCAA. And then all of a sudden there'll be a wedge driven into the membership of the NCAA that's even bigger than it already is. So then not only do you have where people on the outside of the NCAA are fighting, but then the people on the inside of the NCAA are fighting with each other. And that's like what I think creates an even bigger issue is, or maybe creates some level of immediacy on their part is it's like, we have to do something to make sure that we can stay together in how we want to move forward and not have it be not only us versus those, the people in this term, the players, fans, whatever, but also us versus each other, you know, because that's where then you just can completely tear down the entire organization by just infighting. And so like, the NCAA in, in my mind needs to be in like cover our asses as quickly as we possibly can mode just mm-hmm. to get ourselves onto that next step where we're not going to start losing each other. If that yeah. makes sense.
1: Well, and I think the, the thing that this ultimately comes down to, and, and so there, to, to me, there are three main buckets where a student athlete, and I'm going to use the term because I'm very biased towards student athletes. So forgive me if you sit on the other side of this argument anyway. So I'm going to say, uh, should, So there's three main buckets where an athlete. I'll cut
0: you off real quick for anybody that's against this. Like we have to understand what perspective you are coming from. Obviously you are going to be on the side of the student athletes. You know, I have never talked to a student, a a former student athlete who wasn't on the side of the student athletes. So it's like anybody out there who's like, man, Jeff Woody, what the hell? He he wants to support the student athletes. Well, duh. Yeah. Obviously Jeff Woody wants to support the student athletes. Okay. Continue
1: situation. But there, I think there are three main areas where the NCA or where student athletes should be compensated. The first is in what the Supreme court essentially said, you cannot cap today, which is an education. So like, this is where if someone is saying like, you already get paid because you get a full scholarship for sure. A hundred percent, like in three main buckets, that bucket is, was most of the way full, like for the most part, I don't think most, most individuals did not see a, an issue with, how much they were getting paid for an educational standpoint. Like I got, I went in as a walk-on and then I got a full ride scholarship. And in that full ride scholarship covered all my tuition, all my books, like that d- terrific for me. Cause I came from enough money that my parents could afford a laptop. And, you know, like if I needed to get a tutor, I could get a tutor. Like those things were t- more or less taken care of. The educational part was pretty much fine. So that's one bucket. Bucket number two is cost of living. Like the fact that I can exist, as a student athlete, because I can't get another job. I literally can't. And in some cases, the rules prevent me from getting another job. So, can I exist and pay my rent, actually go see my parents, buy a Christmas present for my grandma? Like, can I do those things? Because by being a student athlete, I am foregoing my chance or time to work at another place. So, more or less, cost of living means can I afford to be myself here because of the demands placed on me as a student athlete? So that's the second thing. The third bucket is now where it starts becoming the contentious one, because I think most of most people would agree that you should pay the first two is you should, if, if it's a full ride scholarship or it's an educational thing, you should pay enough that someone can actually get through school. If you're going to, you shouldn't limit the amount you can pay for school. And two is someone because they can't work, they should have enough to live there. You know, like those two things are pretty easy. But then the third one is name, image, and likeness or marketability. Like, How much should I be rewarded for generating this enormous amount of revenue or profit for the, the university that I have signed up to play for and with? So right now, the, the NCA in those rulings against the, by the Supreme Court is 0 for 2. The third one hasn't yet been challenged. So uh, in, in removing the caps on education, it then sets the precedent for trying to get name, like, like I said before, like getting name image and likeness removed, which if we talk about just the educational part, um, there there are a few questions I think in the interim that have to get solved. And I think this isn't like a, a a slowly turn the ship as you go situation. This is like, you have to pick the ship up out of the water and turn it right now, but there are going to be some incremental steps that have to take that have to happen. So like I wrote down a few list of things, but specifically on the educational bucket, again, the one that more or less most people agree with, but now you have to solve the problem of because there's no caps on educational expenses. So rules that are in place by the NCAA right now that kind of don't make sense that you're going to have to then, get rid of or adjust or address uh by the time the by the time the rules turn around for the name image likeness so there's really again three main buckets so just regarding the education part there's a limit on number of scholarships per sport that you can actually pay so if there if you're removing the cap on what you can pay for any given athlete to participate at a university then if I, if you say that there are 85 limited scholarships for a football program, because that's I'll, I'll stick there for what I at least am familiar with. If there's 85 limited scholarships, then you're telling me that the 86th guy is limited in what he can gain. So the scholarship limit is gonna potentially have to change because that's a limit. I mean, where does that, can you then allow different differing volumes of scholarships because of removing the academic thing?
0: So, okay. And that creates even another thing that I think eventually will come into play here, where if it's like there is some level of collective bargaining done on the part of players, mm-hmm. couldn't the 85, 85 scholarship limit remain in place? Because that's really a competitive balance thing as much as it is anything else. True. But it, they- theoretically, it's a competitive balance thing, but like, it prevents schools from being able to sign 120 kids on a scholarship, True. You know, which is something that did happen back in the day.
1: Yeah, and so now, are you allowing though? Because uh, you know, again, what does this? What how does this get addressed? Just because it is something that qualifies as an educational experience, and this is again, I've I've not read the Supreme I'm not an attorney, so even if I did, I wouldn't necessarily be able to discern, pick apart exactly what it's in there. But like things that have to be of consideration. Yeah, the first one is the number of scholarships. So like. And, and, you know, for a sport like track and field, where you have, I don't know how many people are on track and field team called 40, you have 40 people on a track and field team that you have 12 scholarships that you have to break up amongst them. You're then limiting the amount that a university can pay for a student athlete because of scholarship limits. So again, competitive balance, sure. Collective bargaining, sure. But limiting academics, I don't know. Uh, The next one is tied to that is just how much can you then pay for a scholarship? So on that track and field athlete, uh, at the university of Oregon who makes enough money on track and field to pay everyone from that bucket. Uh, can you then pay a full ride scholarship to 15 instead of 12? Can you then change that? So what are the scholarship limitations, uh, educational expenses? I think, where does that lie? Where, I mean, how, how gray and fuzzy is that going to be is paying for a car to get to class? Is that an educational expense paying for a, um, you know, a, traveling in-house air quotes, tutor, which really is just a coach on staff or something like, like, where do those lines get drawn as what is a qualifying educational expense and what's not before you start removing caps like name, image, likeness or other compensation. Uh, and then I think that those are the ones that just rely specifically on, on education. Um, but really the big one is, is going forward because they're now subject to antitrust What happens once you have to pay name, image, and likeness? That's the big giant elephant in the room because that's where the money is.
0: Yeah. And I, so, okay, let's talk about this education thing here for a minute, because I was listening to Chris and Ross's radio show on, on Monday after this had happened. And there were people that were calling in. And one of the first questions that was asked was, well, are these kids going to still have to go to class if name, image, and likeness and all these things come down? kids are going to have to go to class. Like Mm -hmm. that's never going to be an issue. And it's like, people were talking about academic eligibility and all of these kinds of things. If those things would go away and it, let's make clear, like those things are not going to go away. Mm -hmm. And I think it was Ross that made a point of, man, you never hear about kids not being academic academically ineligible very often anymore. Mm -hmm. Well, that's because in today's climate, in college athletics, man, you either got to be really, really dumb or really, really lazy, to not be able to pass your classes yeah. if you're a student athlete. Mm-hmm. Like it's unbelievably lazy. I mean, you like you can attest to this, the number of safeguards there are that exist for student athletes at a university, are, I mean, are unfathomable to, to a normal right. student. And the number of people that you have that are going to be on your ass every single day to make sure that you're getting your stuff done, to make sure that you're studying for tests, to make sure you're getting all of your assignments in on time, Like you, you like I said, you have to be either really dumb or really lazy to not get your stuff done and to not be able to pass your classes.
1: So let's say, let's take this and play a hypothetical. What if, because of these rules, the NCAA goes, all right, you don't need to even go to school anymore. Like what, you can just show up and and do that. An individual, let's call it a student athlete is going to be at their working potential peak. There's cause 95% of these guys are not going to go play professional anything. So they're gonna be at their professional peak from the times that they're 18 to call it 23. How many years left do you have from the time you're 23 to the time you are dead? Call it 60? Yeah, say 50 to
0: 60 probably.
1: 50 to 60, so if you do go to college and elect not to go to school, there's a 95% chance that you are then going to be wealthy without a degree and no idea how to manage your money. So even if there is no requirement that you do have to remain eligible, it would be in every athlete's best interest to get a degree. So you can continue to work for the remainder of 50 to 60 years of your life. So even if they remove this, like, Oh, he's not going to have to go to school. Okay. Well, either that guy, that guy is playing a huge all in bet that he can make it to the league and make all of his money based on football and then hire enough people to manage his money for him, or he's going to end up going broke. And at that point, that's a personal decision. Like as much as you, even if that's removed, it would be in every single person's best interest to with a full ride scholarship to actually go to school. So again, regardless of whether or not you have to go, like that's a rule of, you know, if you shouldn't, it, Is it illegal to walk around with a, with your hat soaked in hydrochloric acid? It's illegal to walk around with your hat soaked in hydrochloric acid. Okay. Well, even if that law wasn't the case, people still aren't going to be walking around with hydrochloric acid hats because it's not a thing that's prudent to the person's life. So if you're going to be doing, even if those rules don't exist, kids are still going to go to school because they need to. And this honestly even places more of an emphasis on what they need to go to school for. Cause like, let's say you are a kid. that's probably going to go to the league get a freaking finance degree, man. Like you're going to have right now, you're going to have to figure out what to do with $500,000 a year or something, depending on what the value of the scholarship is. We don't know. You're going to have to figure out what to do with that money. Like you need to know what's happening. So even if that there, I think those rules are going to stay, but even if they don't, it's still within that person's best interest. So it's a stupid, useless rule to say that you have to go to class just because everyone does anyway, and they will continue to do so
0: yeah I mean that's the kind of thing that like i would I would like to think that even if they took away where you know said you don't have to go to class, which again I, is not going to happen like that's right. that is not going to happen, but if they did, you know. I would like to think that the people who are in charge of these things are smart enough to continue to push kids. Then even it would maybe open the door for kids. Like they don't have to necessarily study what like a traditional finance major would. Uh You're basically a football major in like life of football major, where you learn how to handle money. You learn how to do marketing or social media and like all those kinds of things, rather than, you know, having to go to, uh, you know. like what I did where I had to take meteorology classes and, uh, and chemistry classes to get a journalism degree, you Mm -hmm. know, like you might not have to do some of those things, but you have to do all of these other things that are still going to help you prepare, help prepare you for whatever you're going to do after, unless you want to become, you know, like there's guys on Iowa state's team right now that are studying to be engineers, like, unless you want to be an engineer or something like that, like you can do this and this will prepare you for life after football.
1: Mm. Yeah. So it, it is one of those things that like the academic requirements, Uh, If not there, they're just going to be pragmatically there. Like just the seeing what happens if you don't is going to take two case studies of some guy not going to school, then spending all of his money because he's not educated enough to handle it and being broke after college with no degree, like all that's going to take place at one time at each university. And then it coaches are gonna have internal rules, even if they're unwritten to say like, you gotta go to class or you're not gonna play. Like, even if that's the case, it's an unwritten rule. Like you have to go to the weight room in order to play. Like those, that's not a technical thing that's enforced by the university. It's just the coach's discretion then to say, all right, you wanna play, do these things. And that's the case. And there's no way that that's, that can never, I would imagine that can never get challenged by any court to say what internal rules, as long as they're applied equally to everyone, Uh, are in force so long as it's not violating someone's capacity to, you know, do whatever. So yeah, that doesn't seem like it's going anywhere.
0: All right, let's move on to the name, image, and likeness thing then, because there's a whole lot of layers to this conversation. And this is something that's going to take time to work Mm -hmm. out. Like it's not going to be, oh, we flip a switch and all of a sudden everything works out perfectly. Like nothing ever works that way, especially in big blanket things like this, it's going to take time to work it out. It's going to take time to see how everything, you know, comes together before, you know, we can really come to, you know, solid conclusions and things like that. But there, you know, there's a lot of elements and questions I think people have uh, about all this stuff. And one that I'm, I'm interested because I've heard a lot of people bring this up. And I think that you have a unique perspective with this, is the idea that name, image, and likeness and people being able to benefit off of their name, image, and likeness will hurt team morale or create rifts within teams because of guys who are able to benefit and make, you know, like, let's be honest, Brock Purdy, Brace Hall, uh, Charlie Kohler, you know, those guys would make more money. Mike Rose, like they're going to make more money than what a guy like Jeff Woody would have made as a freshman at Iowa State, you know, and Mm -hmm the idea that that's going to create problems within locker rooms because of jealousy and things like that, or it's like, man, screw that guy. He got to deal with Wilson Toyota and I don't get anything, you know, Mm -hmm. like why would I want to block for that guy? Like he's just a a prima Donna and all this kind of stuff. Like I, I, do you think there will ever be an element of that? Because I think that that's kind of a, uh, I mean, I think that's a wild thing to think honestly. that is,
1: Yeah. That's an absurd thing. I mean, that is absolutely absurd. Now, granted, where this could potentially lie is if two people of equal productivity and equal capacity and equal everything else, one makes slightly more than the other. And at the same time, the one who does make it they make more than the other lords it over the other person. At that point, it becomes a problem. But at that point, you're playing a game which involves physical confrontation. If one person's being an asshole, other people will let them know that they're being an asshole. So really it doesn't, I don't think that there's gonna be such a dramatic rift because most people understand that that's how life works generally. You know, like some people's parents make more than other people's parents. Some people themselves make more than other people themselves. So long as people aren't lording it over the other one, I don't think it's not gonna be that, be that much of an issue. Cause right now, I mean, think about it from an attention standpoint do people get mad at Brees for garnering more interviews than they do? No, no. No. So from uh, it's then a financial version of the same thing that if you don't like that someone else is getting paid more than you be better, Right. You know, like do better things to get yourself to become more. I mean, granted that might be, maybe you're an offensive guard and there's no way that you can have, uh, the same sexiness factor of a quarterback or running back or whatever from an attractiveness investment. But what if you have a capacity to become a good marketer and you then work as a spokesperson for an auto body shop, that's all about toughness. Well, if you then become a spokesperson for something that fits your personal brand, you can become marketable. It's up to you. And so I think Initially, it's going to be weird because people aren't going to know how to do it because it's new. But at the same time, that will take about five days to work itself out that it's going to end up smoothing things over. Like that's one of those, the, it's going to cause uh, morale disruptions. It's buying problems you don't have because you want to buy problems. Like that's what that shows up to. It's like, Nope, I'm not, Hey, you know, I make, Uh, uh, some hypothetical manager, some hypothetical manager, I make $200,000 and each of you guys is making 50,000. And I'm not going to give you a raise because you're not going to know how to deal with that money. So no raises for anybody. Like, wait, that doesn't make sense. You don't know that I don't know how to deal with it until we actually get to the point where I'm dealing with it. So you're creating a problem that doesn't exist to prevent opening the door for the solution. So. That's a, that that I think, and forgive me for being so blunt. That's a stupid thing to be worried about because it's not realistic.
0: Well, and it, it, in the real world, like a perfect example, my roommate is an engineer. Mm -hmm. My roommate makes really good money to, for being 27 years old out of, you know, just a couple years out of college Mm -hmm. as most engineers do. Mm -hmm. I am a sports journalist, a sports blogger. I'm not going to sit here and pretend that I'm a one percenter of 27 year olds, you know, right. 26, 27 year olds, mm-hmm. I make a fine living too. That doesn't mean that like I sit here and I'm like, man, you know, screw my roommate. I can't believe Uh he makes this much money. No, I'm happy for my roommate. I'm happy for my friend that like get, that makes good money. That is, has done what he needed to do to set himself up to make good money. Like that's how normal people are. It would be the same way with kids. Like these college kids are not all of a sudden going to be like, man, screw that guy. You Uh, know, that's just, that is not the way that the world works. Well, and I think in general
1: institutions, like take an example of this. that I think I'll probably come back to later is like, think of an organization that that employs salespeople. The salespeople probably make the most money, but in order for the sales people to make money, they have to have support staff. They have to have fulfillment. They have to have some kind of, if there's a compliance regulatory event, they have to have some type of person that works in compliance or regulation. They have to have a person that works in human resources. All of those people don't make the same thing. They're on the same team, but the sales make the most because it's a job that they're the best fit for. So do, do I, I would imagine there might be some instances where like people get mad at a salesperson for making as much as they do, but that's only if that salesperson turns back around and lords over the people that they make more money. And in each case, that person's an asshole and you're not mad at that person for making more. You're mad at that person for being an asshole. So I think the, this whole thing will event. yeah, there's probably going to be instances where someone is an asshole. Like that's just life. People do that, but The great thing about college athletics is it's one of the few places still where you can get in a fist fight and it's totally fine. So if someone is being an asshole, you, you can take it out. Like you can correct that behavior by everyone, all other hundred. And even if it's a smaller team, all other eight people being like, man, F this dude, because you need to play on our team in order for you to be successful. If you're going to be a dick, have fun.
0: Like, and just think like realistically the ones, you know, in a football locker room, the positions that you think about that would most likely be an asshole. There are guys who are a lot, who are a lot bigger than them could mm-hmm. really beat them up. you know. Yeah. <laughs> like, it, it would be a really poor judgment to start being that asshole in, yeah. in that situation. Yeah. Uh, all right. So, you know, you told me you've got a bunch of points written down, so let's run through all of them.
1: Okay. So I think the, there's, there's a bunch of different areas. So these are not necessarily all tied together, but they all have to do with name image and likeness because, um, there, I think name, image, and likeness comes in two streams of revenue for the student athlete. There's the self-generated stuff where I either, and this is a different question that I'll get to in a second, but either I have an agent that goes to the example you said, or like Carl Chevrolet, we go to Carl Chevrolet and I say, Hey, I want to be a sponsor for you. And then Carl Chevrolet pays me because I then found that transaction myself. Then there's also the university putting out posters and advertising and season ticket promotions. And your name is on a cup at the, at the, at the stadium or whatever. And that's then through the university. And so the university then has to find the money to pay them, pay athletes from those sources. Whereas the thing that's in that, like I find an agent or I do it myself, that's really not that big of a deal because there's the university doesn't have to do anything. Carl Chevrolet is just paying me directly then because, and there's no middleman. They don't have to pay Iowa state to pay me because it's just a contractual relationship that they would have like, a, you know, like, like Steph Curry has an Under Armour, you know, Steph Under Armour pays Steph Curry. They don't pay the warriors to pay Steph Curry. So with that, that's a separate thing. And that's not really that big of a deal from a corporate standpoint yet, but for the university, they're going to have to find money because here's the, the thing that makes the least sense. And it's always been confusing to me. And I'll, I probably said it before in the podcast, In order to play at at this point or prior to this ruling or prior to whenever the name, image, and likeness comes in, you are forced to sign a form that uh, does not allow you to profit from your name, image, and likeness, however the university can. You must sign that form in order to play. Your choice is don't sign it and you can't play or do sign it and you can play. That's it, two choices, yes or no. And so when you do that, you forego your right to get any of that marketing at all by yourself. That is guaranteed gonna be one of the things that gets removed. So then when teams put out posters and teams put out cups and teams put out, Mike Rose is on a ticket for the TCU game or whatever, like those images, they're gonna have to pay the person to use their name, image, and likeness. That's literally what it's about. So where does that money come from if it's not already included in the budget of the university or in their surplus? Because they already take that money to pay the coaches or the ticket vendors or the whatever. So, or to two build
0: brand new football performance
1: centers. It's literally, there's two points five and six that I have written down. There's the two big things that I think are going to happen from this relatively quickly are going to be the coaching salary bubble is going to pop. Like there is no way that you can sustain that with the amount of money that you're going to have to pay the athletes at the schools where you're paying these huge salaries. Like Jimbo Fisher, as the example, I always pull up Jimbo Fisher is making eight and a half million dollars per year where his student athletes that he is coaching at Texas A&M are probably making the equivalent of 92,000 and 86 of that is in tuition. So You then have to find a way if you're Texas A&M, and maybe you can find some boosters for a while that pay for that. But are you then going to find another $7 million per year in just football alone to try and offset that cost? Or are you going to be like, shoot, we're out of money. We don't have enough money to do this. And then the kid that was going to go to Texas A&M, who you now have, you're now your owing rate for that service is 20% of whatever it is. And then you could also go to University of Texas, who's done a better job of budgeting and you can make 40%. So now there's an economic incentive to not go to the university that isn't managing their money. So where you're gonna have to buy back that finance is from coaching salaries and sports facilities. So like the sports facility Iowa State's building is what 50 some million dollars over the course of like seven years. Yeah, you're gonna have to find a way to pay players and that $50 million would be much better used in making sure you stay in the black in your, uh, uh, obligations to the name, image, and likeness description. So eventually, and I don't think this thing's going to happen like right now, but eventually this coaching salaries are going to plateau or even come down. So you can start paying players more because that's the more valuable commodity, uh, or a, an equally valuable commodity is getting good players. So that those two things of paying for these enormous facilities that are $50 million every other year and paying a coach $10 million like that. I think those things are going to go away uh, relatively quickly just because there's not going to be enough money to go around to support all these things. So I think that's a huge problem in and of itself.
0: Well, they might not go away completely because there will still be people who will give money specifically because there are still going to be rich people in this world who will give money specifically to do a specific thing. Sure. Like Phil Knight at Oregon will not be above still building a brand new football facility for the university of Oregon because Phil Knight has the money to do that. Sure. You know, if you've got the money, it, it, like if I'm the university and I say, Hey, if you've got the money to give us $50 million to build whatever you want us to build, mm-hmm. we're all for it. You know, if you want to give the money to endow the coaching, the coaching salary at such and such university, then like, Hey, we're all for that, you know, because then it opens up the door for the university to spend their money in different ways. But then it also, but it like becomes like, okay, we need to find the people who are going to be the ones that are going to support this kind of stuff, Mm -hmm. you know?
1: And you're going to have to, I think you're just going to have to correct that imbalance. Like at some point, and this is the metaphor that I use for coaching salaries and facilities is uh, the, if you're filling up a water balloon and it's attached to this big and you have, In normal situations, the balloon will fill up equally in all directions because there's no limitations placed on which direction that can go. So in college athletics, you put the water balloon of college athletics and more money gets poured into this because it is unarguably a really good product. It's fun to watch. College athletic, college basketball, women's college basketball, college football, like watching track and field. It's fun. Like watching, it is fun. It's a good product. So more money gets poured into it. And what the NCAA has done previously by capping education, what you can pay a player capping cost of living and capping how much you can do name, image, and likeness, the money that's gone in, they've put their hands now on one side of it where you can't pay the players and the other side of it where you can't pay the education towards the players. The money is still coming in. So, the rest of the water balloon that's not encumbered is now growing at a faster and almost unsustainable rate, where that thing's going to pop at some point if you don't relieve the tension that you have on this current system. So, what they're doing now is they're going to say, All right, you can pay players now. And there's still going to be some institutions or some universities that are able to find a T. Boone Pickens, you know, or whomever that has $10 billion and they want to pay. 8 million of a coach's salary, that's fine. But given the choice of, all right, we are going to encounter a $13 million budget deficit, six of which is coaching salary, six of which is player salary, and one million is facilities. When you get to the 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 nitty-gritty of it, you're gonna have to cover all of those. And at a certain point, the amount that you're paying over what it should be market valued at with a coach versus a player, either the players are going to catch up really quickly and you're going to find a way to like navigate that, or they're going to balance out. And then both of them are going to rise in time. So I just feel like the coaching salary bubble is probably on the verge of popping or correcting. So I think those, it's not going to continue to be the wild West where, all right, Nick Saban, you know, for some reason wants to leave Alabama, who's going to pay Nick Saban, $15 million to be the coach that still might happen. But at the same time, you also have to offset the cost that you're now going to have to pay your players to do that.
0: And this is, I mean, quite frankly, this is why NFL coaches are not paid even as well as, you know, the top level college coaches, mm-hmm. because you still have to pay your players too. Yeah. You know, like I don't know what Andy Reed makes with the Kansas city chiefs. There's no doubt that Andy Reed has a lot of value. Like Andy Reed is one of the best coaches in the NFL. But Andy Reid doesn't bring the same value that Patrick Mahomes does. Right. You know, having Patrick Mahomes is more valuable to the Kansas City Chiefs than having Andy Reid is at the end of the day. Yeah. And, but college has been completely lopsided from that. The Mm -hmm. hope is that it will course correct itself and come back to the mean a little bit. And I think, too, like the idea that now this money is going to dry up all of a sudden, it's not going to. Mm -hmm. The NCAA basketball tournament is worth $1 billion like with Tur- Turner sports and Viacom pay a billion dollars to televise the NCAA basketball tournament. The college football playoff once it's expanded to 12 teams, like what they're talking about will probably will be worth damn near a billion dollars too.
1: I like, bet it's, I bet it's going to be several billion.
0: I don't know about several billion, but I think they make 300 million or something like that off their deal right now. It, it, this will probably be at least 1 billion to 1.5 billion. I'm, I'm, Sure. Sure. Like they, they are going to make a lot of money and they're going to continue to make more money. And that's where it's like, what do we do now to continue to make our product even more valuable so we can make more money so that everybody can benefit and everything can work out perfectly. Like it, the, it's not team, just going to be a one-way street. And the teams and organizations that don't are going to get left behind over time. Like that's a thing
1: where you, this is an adapt or die situation where if you continue to operate under the old business model of, not paying your players much or at all and paying your coach an ass load of money. Eventually kids are going to go, wait, I don't want to go there. I would rather have a lesser coach and make three times as much. If I go to school B instead of going to school a, so yeah, I'm not going to go to school. A. so it's one of those things. Yeah. This is an adapt or die situation.
0: All right. What's your next one?
1: So the other one is on, So the two buckets, there's that one of what's paid to the university of, you know, cups and posters and stuff like that, TV advertising, uh, broadcast rights, all those things, who knows what that comes down to. That's that's
0: real quick. quick, I was going to throw one out there. Something I think that would be perfect for this, for the universities is to bring the video games back. This would be a really easy thing to do. You, Uh you get paid by the company that makes a video game. You distribute a portion of that, and then you keep a portion of that Mm -hmm. pretty simple. And you can pay everybody on your team. Like then everybody is going to get some, some money. I'm not Mm -hmm. saying like, you got to make, you know, if EA sports wants to go and make a deal with Brees Hall, they want to make a deal with Brock Purdy. Like they can do that. And those guys can make their more money off of that paid by the company. But then also to have Iowa state university in the game, EA sports has to pay Iowa state a fee. And then from that fee, a portion of that fee goes to the players. And it's like, like, that's pretty simple. And it would be an easy way to get everybody involved in all of these things. And then maybe you don't have some of that jealousy and things like that, because it's like, at, at, the, at the end of the day, everybody's going to get something,
1: you know, Yeah, going to get something more than whatever. And then it's on the individual, uh, eventually to kind of go find the other thing. So yeah, one, the stuff that comes to the university is one can of worms. The other, uh, the other one, it's just going out and getting it yourself, which is in itself a different can of worms and how, how you do and what's allowed. So like, Again, me going to Carl Chevrolet and saying, hey, I would like to do some commercials for you. And they go, great, here's X number of dollars. So that would require me negotiating a contract on my own behalf. That would probably be better done by someone who's done it before. Therefore, that would be an agent. Is that agent then allowed to solicit my services to anyone? Can I then be an advertiser for a strip club? Like what things are you allowed to be an advertiser for and how much are agents going to be around? So like, where does that limit go? Because you need to then in order to have a a proper fair market value, every NFL player has an agent in order to negotiate their contract, unless you're like Richard Sherman, who got a 3.8 from Stanford and wanted to negotiate himself.
0: So, uh, this, sorry, real quick. This gives me an idea. Uh, Woody Knight at the lumber yard is something that we should explore. Uh, <laughs> with I want to, I want to, uh, bookmark that real quick. I'm going to pass that along now. to CW.
1: Put a pin in that one. Yeah. Certainly.
0: Woody uh, night at, at the lumberyard. <laughs>
1: so there's agents for college kids. Like how do you then allow, like who is the marketing for that? And I think that is that going to be a federal, not a federal, an NCAA rule that says agents have to be licensed by X, Y, and Z, or is that then a coach or a institution rule that says you have to be licensed by a, a, B, and C, or is there going to remove licensing requirements, which opens up to a ton of fraud. So there has to be some type of, like, I, I don't know what the NFL, I think agents have to be approved through the NFL PA and yeah. the, the NFL. So like there has to be some certifying body. I mean, yeah. Yeah. And so there has to be some certifying body that agents have to be approved through some type of institution as to not be ripping people off. So agents being involved opens another can of regulatory worms. And then at the same time, you have five-star kid. Let's call it Arch Manning. Arch Manning, who granted, he's got probably good connections with good agents. So like this is not necessarily the greatest example, but just a notable high school kid. Every college on the planet wants Arch Manning. Name, image, and likeness becomes a negotiable thing because then the university is going to talk to all the car dealerships in the area, all their, you know, maybe they're at Jordan school and the next one, the Adidas school and whatever. And they're all going to talk to their people and say, all right, here's the package that we can offer you uh, to come to the university of Texas. Well, here's a package we can offer you to come to LSU. And here's a package we can offer you to come to blanky blank. Granted, Arch Manning, again, has good agents, but what about some kid that doesn't? So imagine this really highly touted kid that's gonna be now negotiating or trying to negotiate up or down with different universities that are providing different packages of name, image, and likeness to him. That kid would need an agent, would he not? So are we offering the same rules to high school kids that are then through college in the the NFL or whatever that enable an agent to be representative of a kid to a university and making sure that no one's gonna get raked over the coals and money stolen from them The second thing is what type of negotiating or bargaining power, because if there's a certifying body that just like the NFL PA that has to approve what agents are doing, whatever they're doing, as well as the NFL, if the NCAA is going to unilaterally approve uh, agents, then all those agents would be required because there's only one side of this negotiation to negotiate with the NCAA's best benefit in its in its be, in its best interest. So there has to be a players side of that that has to be or something that has to be negotiating and making sure that it's fair on both sides. So if you're going to have some type of CBA, you players need to have some type of voice in who is Allowed to represent them. So, does this require that there's going to be a college athletes association in order to approve the regulatory, in order to counter approve the regulatory nature of going back up to the NCAA? So, that I think that's going to be really interesting. And that's not a thing that's going to get solved for a while because that's, I would imagine that's going to be a big trial and error situation because, again, if you're and I don't know, again, I'm not a lawyer, I'm not an attorney. So even if I read a lot of the Supreme Court stuff, I wouldn't understand it. But I would imagine if a, an employer, in this case, the NCAA, as a, as a collective of employers, unilaterally negotiates down and does not allow for the negotiation back up, that is, again, an antitrust violation. So like they can't, they can't just say, you're going to use these agents, end of story. So how do you, it's just, that's another thing that you have to consider is who's gonna represent these kids. And then I think compliance is gonna be up in just a, a total tornado of essentially like trying to figure out what the rules are. Cause I think compliance agents are only trying to, they're trying to enforce the rules that are in front of them. So like, it's, they're not the enemy in this situation. It's Some of the times the dumb rules that are. Um, so where do the, where, like how clear are we with compliance regulations? So then violations can or can't be there and then a, just a separate total again, totally separate can of worms. Think of someone like Reggie Bush. What if I don't know what a statute of limitations on something like this could be? But how much money did Reggie Bush lose in having his Heisman stripped and having his season taken out of the record books? If he then sued because of you know some retroactive thing, and if it's possible, I don't know. Don't, if you're an attorney, don't yell at me here. But like people like that who have not been made right by this amount of what you can make for name image and likeness. Like, I feel like I would fall in that I had enough of a name recognition that I'm not going to make hundreds of thousands of dollars, but I can make a fair amount of what I would while I, while I was at Iowa state to be a promotional person for someone or someone else, but I was not given the chance, but these guys are given the chance in the future. So there's a lot of stuff that they're going to have to figure out. And I think, yeah, it, it's, it's not going to get solved soon but there are some pretty substantial structural changes that if you look at it, even with a a wide tooth comb, not a fine tooth comb, a wide tooth comb that just very easily stick out to being like, this is going to be something you have to solve in order for this to work. And the Supreme Court's going to smack down the NCAA at least three or four more times with stuff they're going to try and do.
0: See, and this is why it would have been in the NCAA's best interest to start working on this three years ago. When state legislatures started even putting this stuff on the table,
1: mm-hmm.
0: not two weeks before the laws are going to go into effect, where all of a sudden, because this, there's so much room for air here, dude. Like the, I, I can already see it. They're going to put something out that isn't going to make hardly any sense. Mm-hmm. And it's not going to do what it's supposed to do. And everybody's going to sit here and be like, well, what the hell were you doing? Oh, well, we were trying to cover our ass the whole time. We weren't really actually trying to be proactive and fix anything. So it kind of like, it's so dumb. It's so dumb the way that this whole thing has been handled because it could have been avoided so easily Mm -hmm. and yet they just didn't do it. And that's what drives me crazy as much as anything is it's like, you saw the writing on the wall here and you should have had lawyers. Like why, why did the Supreme court, why did the NCAA want to go to the Supreme court anyway? Mm -hmm. Like clearly this was, this was clearly illegal the entire time by the letter of the law. There should have been a lawyer who was kind of like, Hey, yo, we're we're probably not going to want to rethink this before we try and take this all the way to the highest court in the land, because we are not going to win. Yeah. (laughs) And you are really trying to bank on some people being, you know, not Conservative in like the political sense, but be like ultra conservative, old school. That they're going to buy what you're trying to say because what you are trying to sell makes no sense. Yeah, from and a legal from a legal backing.
1: Well, and I think initially they were talking about I don't know what like John uh, was uh, in 1984. I think if I remember the the article right, there is the last time the amateurism was brought to to the Supreme Court was 1984, and John Paul Jones I think was the was the the justice that presented the opinion on that essentially saying they're like yeah the ncaa this amateurism stuff that's that's what people show up to watch and i think that the NCA put too much stock in the fact that that was the precedent that the supreme court would fall back on not to say like yeah bro you're not doing this right like when you look at it logically clearly nine to zero like nine to zero so also well done to the attorneys and law team of the plaintiff in this to get a unanimous court ruling. Cause even if you had a layup case, you still have to make the layup. So like, well done for them. Uh, but at the same time, like, yeah, I, I, they probably were just leaning on the fact of like, Hey, we already have a precedent that this is the thing. This 1985 or 84 case is the thing that they're going to look back on. And now, like we talked about in the opening, that's not the case anymore. Like everyone, every other Supreme court case now brought towards the NCAA is going to include this one that, uh, that lumps the NCAA in with antitrust violations or with antitrust rules to say, no, no, you have to play by the rules of everything else in the United States because you are part of the United States. And just before, one other thing, cause I think we've gone about an hour and this is fun, but I would say selfishly as an Iowa state alumnus and a Iowa state fan believe it or not, a fan on Cyclone Fanatic, Matt Campbell, TJ Otzelberger, and Jamie Pollard at the helm to negotiate the change is about as good of a trio as you could get. You know, like the the coaches that are going to struggle or the institutions that are going to struggle are institutions that try to fight what is normally the trend and not just accept this is what is let's make the best of what is, you know, let's do things that make sense. Cause the I mean, the, the interview that Williams did with him talking about the transfer portal and saying like, dude, I embrace the transfer portal. I want you to be in the best situation you can be. So I'm going to work my butt off to make sure that you're in the right spot. So Otz plus Ken Campbell does the same thing. I mean, he told, he told David Montgomery to go pro after his junior year, which is clearly not in his best interest to make sure that it's the best for the kid. So you have two head coaches, the two profitable, most profitable, not to say the only, but the two most profitable, uh, drivers of economics at the university. And then Jamie Pollard, who is as black and white from an economic standpoint as you can to make sure that whatever thing is going on actually works. I would say I am tremendously optimistic about where Iowa state is headed when the inevitable wave of this thing crashes, that you're not going to be one of those programs that gets stuck doing it the wrong way because no one here is too stubborn to try new things and find out the best way to do it. So I think just as a way to look forward, I think Iowa state's in a really strong position with who they have here with Campbell, Autzen, uh Jamie.
0: And I think too, that Iowa state will be in a strong position because kids will be highly marketable here in mm-hmm. comparison to some places. Yeah. You know? Like there's a lot of places where kit. I mean, college athletics, just, it's not the only game in town here. It is, you know, and it, it's the same thing for the university of Iowa, the university yeah. of Iowa will benefit from this handsomely as well. I don't know about their administration as much like they clearly they have not done everything correctly. So I don't know that I would necessarily trust them to be the ones to be the driving force for progressive, you know, college athletics reform, but uh, it. From that standpoint, like these athletes are going to be okay because they are going to be highly marketable here. Xavier Foster will be highly marketable in the state of Iowa. Mm -hmm. Someone like Brock Purdy, Bruce Hall, will be highly marketable in the state of Iowa. And that's where another thing that people bring up is, oh, this is the rich are just going to get richer. I don't know that that's necessarily the case. You know, Alabama is always going to get the kids that Alabama is going to get because of what they can do for them moving forward in their professional career. Like that's always going to be the case you that's in Alabama is going to get their pick of the litter for the five-star kids, but
1: they already have,
0: but they already do. They already do. Yeah. And it's like, people say, well, what's going to stop a, uh, you know, a donor at the university of Texas from going to kids and saying, well, we're going to offer you this huge deal. Dude, they like, they kind of already do that. Like, they just do it under the table. <laughs> mm-hmm. Now it's got to come to light, you know, yeah. like now we got to see how these things work. We're going to find out how the sausage is made rather than just having it come out in a NCAA hearing in 10 years. Yeah. And it will be where the playing field will level because there also might be a, a situation where a kid who maybe looks at the depth chart at the university of Alabama and he says, Hey, I'm a running back, you know, they've already got four or five star running backs in the room at Alabama. Do I know that if I go to Alabama there, I'm going to be set up to be a good professional. Yeah, probably. But I'm also going to be at best the third, second or third string running back. But if I go to Iowa state or if I go to Iowa, or I go to Nebraska or wherever, you know, um, I'm trying to think, uh, you know, the university of Missouri, I guess that may not be a good example, but it's places where like college sports is King. Well, I'm going to be the first string running back within probably my first two years of being on campus. That's going to instantly make me more uh, marketable and I can help set myself up well, because I know that the coaches there are good as well. So it's like, Iowa State and Iowa are going to benefit a ton from this because I think it will level the playing field with some of those highly rated people because they're going to be like, I'm not going to go sit on the bench forever and not be able to market myself. I'm going to go somewhere where I can market myself and play and get an opportunity to continue to set myself up professionally.
1: Yeah. I, I, it has a, I feel like this is going to have a way of balancing itself out and it this is a uh, when things inevitably don't make sense in the first 2 years or whenever this thing does happen, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. There still has to be an understanding of how you're going to do it. Like how we're going how are we going to figure this out? There aren't any cases. There aren't going to be any case studies of got, you know, two two people, running back A and running back B. Running back A goes to Alabama, sits in the bench for 3 years, plays 1 year as a starter, makes a ton in that 1 year but made nothing the prior 3 versus Person that elects not to go to Alabama and they elect to go to, I don't know, call it Vanderbilt or something like that starts for four years and makes money all four years. And then evidence. does this guy, the one who started four years, make more than the one guy who makes one. I mean, it, we don't know what those case studies are going to be until it happens. So like, we're just gonna have this, we're going to have to figure it out. There is going to be some stuff that's not totally sure, but the fact that there's actually the capacity to learn about it is huge. Just because again, take the, take the amateurism goggles off, like removing that sphere because amateur to me is you are volunteering your time because you strictly just enjoy the thing and you have no goal of making a financial product out of it. You are, that is an amateur thing. Like back in the, what was the eighties or sixties or fifties when you could not be a professional. Athlete and compete in the Olympics. You are then volu- more or less volunteering to be uh, some other, bond, like an amateur athlete, so you could participate in the Olympics. So you're foregoing that so you can do something later. So you know that you're not going to make money. That's not the case. Guys go to college to play sports so they can make money after playing sports. That's it, that's how it happens. It's a farm system. It is the AAA baseball league. It is, it it is a farm system flat out. And even kids that are going to bowling green as a backup wide receiver are still in the back of their head shooting to do that. So they can make money doing it. Like it is an economic incentive to do the thing. So it is not an amateur system anymore. It is a semi-professional system. So you have to then reward it like a semi-professional system. And so when you look at it like that, like the Supreme court just said, you have to in a nine to zero ruling, they said, no, this is not amateurism, you are, an athlete. you are paying them and violating antitrust rules, no. So when you look at it through that lens, none of these rules make any sense. By limiting what you can pay someone, by f- reducing the market value, like it, it doesn't make any sense when you think about it for half a second when you remove the amateurism goggles. So like I can understand if that is the lens with which you see this and it doesn't make any sense, try and participate and call a student athlete that goes to call Brees Hall, a pitcher that got drafted to the Iowa Cubs. He's not in the Chicago Cubs yet, but he's getting drafted to the Iowa Cubs because it's a farm system. Yes. You're loyal to the Iowa Cubs, but ultimately you are trying to make it to the Chicago Cubs. And are you going to pay a kid that's in the, uh, the Iowa Cubs as much as you're going to pay a kid that's, or a guy that's playing in the Chicago Cubs? No, but if he's worthwhile, you're going to pay him a lot of money. Kyler Murray, when he was a fifth overall pick, got like $5 million of a signing bonus or something like that to to play for the A's because they knew he had potential. He wasn't going to play in the majors right away, but his market value for what he was eventually going to do is high. So he had to be compensated as such because it's a farm system. That's what college athletics is. From an objective view, it is a farm system for the pros. So now you have to pay them as such. And if you, if that NIL has the name image likeness, that hasn't happened yet. It will. So again, try, if you are not seeing it and you think this is dumb, look at Iowa state as the Iowa Cubs. Don't look at it as a university because they are the same thing. Now it is a farm. It is recognized now as a farm system that just happens to provide education.
0: All right. I got two things for you and then I'll let you go. Who would have made the most when you were at Iowa state on name, image, and likeness AJ on the football team.
1: AJ probably I would imagine AJ Klein. Yeah. That's what I'll go with. It's AJ or Jake.
0: Okay. Uh, what do you think of the 12 team playoff?
1: Uh, really like it. Uh, really like it. And depending on how they set it up, uh conference champions, I think, I mean, look at the NCAA, the NCAA basketball tournament. There are very specific goals that make it relevant to accomplish set specific goals. You win your conference, you're in, you win the Missouri Valley tournament. You're in. If you don't, then you leave it up to the chance of whatever's going to be there. And yeah, people get upset that their teams left out all the time. But the fact of now, if there's going to be 12, then your power fives get in. You probably your highest ranked conference champion gets in. Then you have six at-larges or something like that. That's great because it now makes it objective that coastal Carolina is going to get in, you know, like they're going to be able to prove all the talk of are they worth it or not? If they are, awesome. If they're not, fine. And I think it also could be really cool because I think what are the first couple rounds that are going to be played in the high seated team stadium?
0: The first, yeah, I think the first round.
1: Perfect. Could you imagine how nuts Ames would be if Iowa State was the seventh team, which would be the first, the highest seated team playing, whatever. I mean, hopefully you'd be in the top six and you get a buy, but or whatever, top four, get a buy. I don't know how. Top it four. Top, yeah, top four would get a buy. Say Iowa State's number five and they get a host you know, Ole Miss or something like that. Like the team that's ranked 12th as an at-large and you get to play Ole Miss at home in the playoff on December 15th in the friggin' snow cold. How, how many hundreds of thousands of Iowa state fans are going to be tailgating or like right there for it just because it's such a huge event. So I think the 12th team playoff is really good. Anything more than that. And I think you start running into I mean, maybe to 16, but I think if you get more than that, then you start diluting the regular season because you just run out of calendar, you know, like you wouldn't have enough games to accurately get a picture to qualify. So anything more than like 12, maybe 16, then I don't think you'd have, yeah, you you wouldn't have enough regular season to make it worthwhile. And you'd start having to remove games. Like the Iowa game would have to come off the schedule and uh, you know, any non-conference games have to come off the schedule. So like, 12-16 12-16 is about as much as you can handle with still having a full season unless you want to play like 19 games and start in the middle of August.
0: Which I think is actually probably going to be fairly realistic. They're going to they're gonna have to play a lot of games. <laughs> but, unless there's going to be massive changes made to the way the schedule works, which isn't probably going to happen because each conference does it their own way. And it would, it, it would require having a governing body of college football, which should already exist but does not.
1: Well, there's, it'd be what, three rounds, 12, eight, four, two. It's four rounds. So you have four rounds, put them a week apart. I
0: don't know. It's not necessarily
1: maybe the last couple get 10 days apart. It's
0: so really then you'd be playing until, I mean, if you put them a week apart, like, or you play four weeks in a row, you mean?
1: Well, or you get something like 10 days in between. So like if you're in the first two rounds, you're going to have to play back to back. Cause that gives this the higher seeded teams that got the buy, they got a two week buy already. So they got the rest. In order to you want to be in the top four, so you don't have to play right away. So then you probably have to play we let's call it conference championship is the first weekend of December or something like that. Mm-hmm. The first round of the playoff would have to be like this maybe you get the second weekend December, or maybe the third weekend of December is when the first round of the playoff is. And the second round of the playoff would be right after that. So like the week of Christmas, and then the next round would be right after that. So which would be like the first weekend in January. So which is when the normal bowl games would be anyway. Then if you get through that, then you get two weeks off and you play in the second weekend in January, which is when the championships are anyway. So you're just like, instead of climbs in Alabama. Finishing their season on December 1st, playing their next game on December 30th, and then playing their next game on January 13th, you then just push games tighter together. So it's the, I don't think the changes is necessarily going to have to push the schedule forward. It's just going to make them more as you get closer. So the, uh, yeah, if you got the bye, you'd play, what, in the third week, third and fourth weekend of December, then get two weeks off and then play the other one. So you don't have to play two back, to, like one set of back-to-back games. So,
0: I don't know, man. Might as well just move the entire season up, start Iowa State football the first week in August. That'd be fun. I'm down. It? Let's do it. Get there. I'm sure that would be great for everybody involved. that, you know the heat exhaustion would not be an issue at all <laughs> when it's 110 <laughs> degrees outside. Your padded practices are now not in August. They're in the middle of July, and it's an 11 a.m. kickoff, and the sun is beating right on the first row of the press box, and I'm sitting under a microscope the entire time, sweating my ass off.
1: <laughs> Arizona State is playing on August 16th. <laughs>
0: well, Arizona state might not be playing. They're getting themselves in trouble now. So that who knows what's going to be going on with the sun devils after, uh, oh. after everything that they've, they've got going on down there. But uh, all right, man, this is fun. This is a good conversation. Well, uh, we got to start our fall camp previews here in the next couple of weeks. I'm excited. This football season's almost upon us. It's all, it's
1: July next week.
0: It is. It's great. What are you going to do for the 4th of July? You going to blow anything up?
1: No, I'm uh, staying here, hanging out, doing nothing. We're going to, been on a bunch of trips so far this year, going to Wisconsin at the end of July. I'm just hanging out here, possibly getting a jet ski
0: somewhere. You're going to get a jet ski? Like you're going to buy one? Rent. Oh. No, we're not going to buy I was going to say, jet. I feel like jet skis are bad in, bad investments. We're not going to buy a jet ski. We're going to rent a jet ski. Okay. Well, I didn't know. You said, I'm going to get a jet ski. I thought maybe, and then you're going to go buy one. Sorry. Shit, bro. Shut up, dude. Shut up. <laughs> Thanks everybody for listening. Talk to you again soon. Peace.